All right, cheers, guys. To a good week, but also challenging week. One of the funniest decisions I've read in a long time. We're going to talk about a couple of decisions, but wait. But before we get there, do you remember what tomorrow is? Joe's birthday? It's Joe's birthday, everyone. <laughs> birthday, Joe. Thank you very much. I turned 56 years of age. Shh, never tell. Never tell. I don't mind. It's okay. Out of it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I moisturize. It's fine. Oh, well, that explains everything. <laughs> so, yeah, this was actually a funny decision. Um, but it, it has, you know... It, it you know it's funny because uh, it's funny for a lot of things so it's an october it, it's a it's a recent um decision of a of a matter that was heard on appeal uh october last year but it, it it's just funny it's just funny because you know oh, we're 30 years plus out as lawyers so when i read like this and brings and back some, memories and some crown attorneys like this this judge is biased and he appeals based on bias and it's like, they just didn't grow up in our era. No, they so, have no clue. So bias in a judge is, we'll get into it a little <laughs> bit more. It's a very complicated argument to make on appeal. They were successful, well, no, <coughs> excuse me, unsuccessful in this case, because it was a crown appeal of an acquittal. Right. Yeah, they were unsuccessful. So ultimately, um, l let me just read one thing. It's important. So to be blunt, the perception of the public is critical to the efficacy of the justice system. The public in turn must have confidence in the court's ability to deal with the civil, criminal, and other disputes in a rational, civilized manner. The dignity of such a system is undermined at society's peril. In my view, repetition of what occurred in this proceeding would contribute to the erosion of public confidence in this institution. The Crown has not discharged its very heavy onus in the circumstance of this case to uh, establish actual bias or reasonable apprehension of bias on the part of the trial judge. So what's important to start off is that there is a very clear principle that the perception of an impartial trier of fact is uh, very much at the core of our judicial process and the criminal justice process. And the dignity of such a system can be undermined sometimes when goes on in court which isn't good. That said, this wasn't one of the most serious cases. Right. And uh, it was actually quite amusing. So we may actually go through this well, a little bit let's, slow. Okay, let's start it by saying what the case is. So it's R.V. Right. R. Fraser, F-R-A-S-E-R, 2023 uh, NSSC, which is Nova Scotia. Superior Court. <laughs> Superior, Superior Court. Court, excuse me for coughing. Uh, 45. Oh, great, thank you. <laughs> dedicated water boy <coughs> getting over a cold um so two glasses that's impressive i know <laughs> double hand i'm not which holding one the, which one double fisting yeah i'm not holding the third so, one for uh, you. so this was a crown appeal of an acquittal and so the crown alleged that the judge exhibited uh bias that he uh after only one crown witness had testified the main complainant that he he said I think you need to seriously question your case over lunch before we continue. Right. And, but the comments from this judge are hilarious. Yes. And I think um, show a lot of... Um, We're going to have to pause because something's vibrating. Yeah. It's not my pacemaker. No. 
despite your age. Okay, so let's let's just break this down a little bit because it, it is funny and and it's going to harken back a little bit to Michael and I the olden days doing trials at Old City Hall, 1994, 95, and for other lawyers who may watch this who are a little bit older than us. But anyway, so this this poor uh, accused. Um, well, look, they were they, look. He was a bit of a rogue in his law office, so he was a lawyer, and he was charged with criminal harassment and alleged to have been engaging in threatening conduct directed at the complainant. He was also a lawyer. Also a lawyer. He was also a lawyer, but the managing partner at the firm, who reasonably in all the circumstances feared for her safety, contrary to the criminal code provision for criminal harassment. And so both the accused and the complainant were partners in the same law firm. Um, and the complainant was a member, if not the managing partner, while the respondent was not, but was a senior lawyer at that firm. And it looks and like... one of the things that, that the judge noticed happened was that the law firm split into factions. So there was a number of witnesses the Crown was going to call, and, and the judge recognized that there were certain people who took sides at the law firm in terms of what they were, you know, whether it was a law firm or any other firm. Yeah. And this and often the, happens. The dynamic people, at the yeah. time was the, the, the firm seemed to be uh, going through a, a difficult time and there may have been, um, the firm was dissolving. I'm not sure if it was, but that seemed to be the hint that there was some, there was internal turmoil Strife. going on. So in anyways, so the decision of the judge acquitted um, the accused and the court, uh, the appeal from the Crown to the summary conviction appeal court was basically that the judge erred in law by making comments indicating an inclination to acquit immediately after the first of five crown witnesses, thereby raising an apprehension or an appearance of bias or actual bias in favor of the accused and, and other stuff. But the central issue was the bias. Can, can I just... In, sure. Can I just read the next little bit I, uh, that I've highlighted that I thought was really Yeah, funny? that was the key. He so. says he says to the, the complainant, the main complainant, the one who says that she was being harassed, you can step down now. You're good. I'll just encourage you. If you testify again in court, you work on impartiality. When Mr. McDonald, uh, one of the lawyers, is talking to you and you're referring to him as Don, you know, they're talking about the accused, instead of calling him by his name or Mr. Whatever, uh, you call him the accused. It doesn't bode well, just so you know. Yeah. So this yeah. is a comment by the judge to the complainant after she testified. He's like, yeah, you know what? It's you could have done good. better. Yeah. It's you could have done good. better. But, you know. Not impressed. But the judge <laughs> the judge actually wanted, um, so the case was booked for a one-day trial. And he kept going with the complainant's evidence. And rather than breaking for lunch, wanted to keep going to make sure the evidence wasn't broken up. So good. Good for, yeah. good for the trial judge. And then he did make the comment saying, you know, you may want to. Says to the crown. Yeah. You know. The, the prosecutor. So following that, the judge decides to get into a conversation with the crown attorney. And um, basically says, well, she's the named individual. Um, and and the, the judge was curious about how many witnesses were yet to come. And. The it was supposed said, to be a one-day trial, wasn't right. it? It's supposed to be a one-day trial. So the judge said, look, the crux of this is her. She's the named individual, and we can call it the victim for whatever sake uh, she is right now. Um, and the court says, so I have no idea where this is going, but it's not going well in terms of conviction. I'll tell you this now. What you have here, and I'm going to keep an open mind for the rest of it, but you think this through. You may want to think this through over lunchtime. 
You have an aggressive and annoying partner at a law firm who likely wants his way. He's been there a long time, and you have a very emotionally unfit, unprepared person who's managing partner, one of three managing partners. Seems to me, I'll keep an open mind, I haven't heard the rest of the evidence, but it seems to me that a lot, and perhaps all of what was discussed in the realm of her job as one of those managing partners, he just keeps going on, blah, blah, blah. I think you have a very steep hill to climb. I'm not so sure you want to spend the rest of the afternoon climbing that hill. I think, I think, I think the prosecution's got to think this through. It's a choice you got to make. I've dealt with you for quite some time now, so I suspect I know where this is going. <laughs> oh my God. So let's pause there for a right. second. So you have... I wish I was there. Yeah. You have a complainant who testified, who's really, and he's right, that's the main complainant because it's her... Um, complaint. It, it's, it's her it's complaint. And, and also, you know, this is a criminal harassment charge, so there's three elements that they identify that are subjective and only the only complainant can, can, can make out yeah. those elements of the charge. And that is, was she subjectively afraid? Mm -hmm. You know... Well, she has to reasonably fear for her safety in all the circumstances, and then it has to be objectively uh, reasonable. Reasonable. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I was getting at it. But I just want to just want to talk. And for no a matter how many other supporting witnesses you can have of what about what they heard, much. It, it, there's subjective elements that count directly on the complainant. Yeah. So look. So yeah, it's a troubling comment if you're a crown attorney, and certainly the crown attorney took umbrage to that, mm -hmm. and. Um, after being told by the judge. It was a bit combative, and so this plays into it later. Not until later on, but the judge then went through the elements of the offense, and they have a number of back and forths, and the Crown says, you know, Your Honor, it looks like you've, uh, I have a significant concern here, it looks like you've made your decision. Not before argument, but before the Crown has even presented its case. It sounds like the decision's already made, and they start to get into a battle. Oh, did back so, and did forth. not, did so, did not, did so, did and not. And it's—I <laughs> mean—this is available on Canley, and 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 it is actually quite amusing yeah. to read in terms of combativeness between, well, combative assertiveness, I, I think, from a judge. And so he brings up something. The judge brings up something very important, which is case management, because our courts are overwhelmed. And I, I found it very noble that a judge would say, after hearing the core of the, the complaint, you can bring in other witnesses, which but do you really want to? <clears throat> we're going to get into oath helping in a little bit. You can bring in other witnesses, but when the main complainant doesn't meet the quality of evidence, and the courts are overwhelmed, this is supposed to be one day, and and they're saying they have like four other witnesses, and the defense wouldn't even have called. You're not going to get through it in a day. I can't blame the judge for saying, are we really going to, you know, climb this hill? Is this something that you hadn't experienced in your life? I think a few times we've had these experiences. Many, yeah, like, many times. Like judges saying, Mr. Burry, are you sure you want to call your witness? Or are you sure you want to call any other evidence? Or All sometimes the or, or the sometimes river. after the Crown's case, yeah. it's like the judge is looking at you like, look, dude, you're not really calling a defense. You're not calling a case. defense, are you? Or sometimes they've said to the Crown, you know, what's that expression? This something won't swim. Um, there's an expression I remember being yeah. said a number of times. Yes. But, you know, we've, we've been there. We've had the signals. And this is years and years and years ago because yeah. there's a political correctness now that plays through the court system God that, that, God forbid, if yeah. it did back then. Oh, you'd be... You know, these judges would have all been terminated. Judicial counsel. But the reality is they did manage the docket. Right. You know, 
And they did reach out and they did say sometimes to a Crown attorney going, look, I've, I've heard the first witness who's the most crucial witness. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Literally, we, we've heard this before. And then sometimes you actually would then take a break and have a discussion and sometimes work it out or the charge would get withdrawn and you've got you've got effective case management. Right. Well, we were talking about the judge that used to tell us at Old City Hall, okay, guys, I'm on the golf course by 1 o'clock. <laughs> get in the hallway, work this out. I'm sure it'll be a good deal once I'm done with it. Oh, just... Which isn't the right thing to do. But... It's case management. But, you know... <laughs> but I've also seen, like, I, I, I've been present for two cases where the prosecutor recommended acquittal. And so, so there is a value to that, saying, like, do you really want to rethink your case? Yeah, so I, I think on... on you know, so so what happens eventually is the judge, you know, lets the crown call its case and calls the rest of the witnesses. The the defense doesn't call the defense, and the guys acquitted, and the crown appeals solely on the basis of bias, and um, the the um, the appellate judge in the superior court summer conviction appeal court basically says it's it wasn't the best day for for either <laughs> right people. i know that was a great comment and you know it wasn't the most um, noble you know it, it was interesting to see the combativeness by the crown attorney who's a long time experienced crown attorney and and whatever the judge was saying but at the end of the day the judge you know arrives at the opinion that in all the circumstances the judge was very much still um alert to the issue well he continually said my mind is still open yeah. i'm just saying I'm impartial. Like, That's all. my mind's open you make your decision and so an interesting thing that happened though is that the, the crown uh the prosecutor kind of you know th th they said that they were going to challenge and they were going to ask the the judge to recuse himself well, they brought a recusal motion at trial, so that, that which the judge denied. So, yeah, so you bring a motion saying, we, we think you should excuse yourself. These are the reasons we think that you're not capable of continuing the trial. And generally, judges are keen on admitting that, although some have. Some no, some do. Some do. Yeah. So, yeah, so the, in this case, the, the Crown said, brought a recusal motion. The judge said, no, I know, I know what's involved in the test for recusal. He was on a committee about right, yeah. judicial bias. And I have, I have like, a yeah. lot of experience in recusals <laughs> right. and bias, and this ain't one of them, so forget it. Right. Um, so I'm not going to do it. And, but, but the Crown got to call its case, right. and it was over. And um, it, it really, it's funny because of how you read it and, and them bumping their heads. That's a and circus, then, yeah. And then, you know, t t to some that this is like an unusual thing, whereas we grew up in an oh. era where you had to fight with judges, they'd yell at you. Right. A judge who was upset would dismiss a docket. Fall like asleep, you'd have to wake up. It was crazy the judge. that went on, right? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I remember, yeah. I'm not going to say him, no. but God rest his soul. I mean, he was a fun judge to be in front of someday, but the Crown prosecutor, and this isn't the one who was in Newmarket, this is a long time ago, was so mad at the Crown. The first case, the witnesses were late. Yeah. Dismissed it right away. Yeah. yeah. You know, but... But what when you get to the heart of it, is it it's very important the principles that, that they talk about here is that you know, the presumption of judicial impartiality is incredibly important and there is an extremely strong presumption of it. Mm -hmm. So that means that in order to overcome a verdict on actual bias or apprehension of bias, it's a very high threshold. But they but they describe the difference between the two. One talk about that. It's, it's incredibly difficult to prove that somebody is biased. So most of these claims of bias go to would a reasonable person perceive a potential bias? 
and question legitimacy of the decision. So it's, it's just a perception of bias that most of these cases are heard on. And then you have to consider whether or not that perception is, you know, Legitimate. based on a reasonable person. And, and, you know, it's still a pretty high bar because, um, because uh, the judges are listening to all the evidence, they're making decisions based on demeanor, and most of the people who read these decisions are reading them in, in, in writing. They're not literally physically present in the courtroom. Right. And, and there's a big difference between that, and that's why there's a deference given to judges, because they're by the, the appellate courts, because the judge was there and present and able to witness a bunch of things. And uh, so that's one of the th important things people reading about cases later have to keep in mind. There's a very big difference. Even reading transcripts of statements given by complainants, mm -hmm. I like to watch the video because you can get a lot more from what's going on. And there's sometimes there's like actions that aren't described in the transcripts and, and listening to the, the demeanor and the tone and all this other stuff. So, you know, there is there's a, good a dynamic that plays out during the course of the trial that's lost in a transcript. Exactly, exactly. And so when you have a feel for a case and you have an experienced judge, you know, sometimes this will happen. It doesn't always mean there's bias. Right, right. You know? They, they say something at the end, though, that I think is really important here, too. Uh, they say, sadly, I've concluded that some reasonable informed person reference above, even if that person, I'm on paragraph 64, mm -hmm. uh, even if that person would not have concluded that it was probable that the trial judge was biased, they would nonetheless walk away with their respect for the justice system shaken. <laughs> right. Well, so here the, the judge, and again, we, we're not really being critical of any of these parties, but the, the judge did chastise the first witness. But I, I have sympathy for the fact that this person refused to call them a name. And we're in cases where actually people are quite polite. They refer to them as their first name or their last name, Mr. This, Mr. That, or by the first name, not the accused. When somebody actually says the accused, and I've had that in a couple of cases, you know, you're you're pretty, there's something going on there, There's a right? use of language to try and imply guilt. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's, I, you know, I think there's a bit of pathology with somebody who refers to the And in this case, it was coming from somebody accused. who's a lawyer, so she knew what she was she doing. She knew what yeah. she was doing. She you knew know, exactly what she was but, doing. But, you know, clearly there's chastising or critical discussion about the first witness and there's clearly criticism about the the case of the uh of the crown and um so yes i can see how reading this and looking at it how this was not the best example of it was not the classiest not the classiest one that said i i have a lot of sympathy again for Judges with a lot of experience, some old school judges with a lot of experience looking at who's the accused in the courtroom goes like, seriously, why are we f***ing here? I know. And, and we've, we've experienced this. Like we've experienced judges in the course of a trial to go, and very much in favor of something that's accused, going, I, I don't understand why we're here. Yeah. And, and I think it's, I appreciate when they're blunt. And that's one of the things like for, for outside people who aren't involved in the legal system, they have a lot of trouble understanding the, um, the, the etiquette and so on of calling the prosecutor and the defense lawyers calling each other my, my friend, friend and like all, all of these um, you know, phrases that are used is to keep civility in the court and to try and keep people uh, from, from blurting out things that are inappropriately worded and so on, right? Yeah, and, and you know, we've said this before, and I, I think I, I like to try and say this. I think overall, although, you know, 
you could look at a lot of our podcasts and see how critical we are about things. I think consistently we've said we should be very proud of the criminal justice system and the judiciary and the prosecution system that we have in Canada. We have a high level of respect for each other. We have a high level of civility. We treat everybody generally with respect. We just finished a trial this week with an, you know, an excellent judge, an excellent Crown attorney on a very difficult and emotional case who everybody rose to the, you know, the highest level of professionalism. And um, I don't think anybody left the courtroom, regardless of what the decision will be when we get it at the end of May, to feel that they weren't heard or treated respectfully. And that is a credit to our system. And that sets us apart in my respectful view of other jurisdictions. And, you know, I always tell an old story when it's, it's, I forgot what year it was, but there was a, and we had a, we lived through a couple of strikes where, where the guards at the jails were on strike. And so that would spill over to the courthouse because you don't have the same, some of the court staff that are security are part of that union. And I'll remember a case where, you know, um, a judge in Brampton had sentenced an individual to 10 years. I believe it was on a, either an aggravated assault or attempt murder. And then the judge realized and said, Mr. So-and-so, I'm very sorry. I just realized I don't have any court cards here. I don't, I, I don't have anybody around. Um, would you mind sitting in the prisoner's dock um, while I try and get somebody to assist? Because once sentenced to a jail sentence, you then have to be brought down to the cells and eventually taken to the jail. And the person said, no problem. I brought a book, Your Honor, and <laughs> sat in the dock. And then he conducted another trial. That gentleman sat there for four hours. Wow. That's and then, then so, Peel, so Canadian. Then Peel police officers had to come brought him into the cells and transported him. And I, I always tell this story because I talk about the civility of our system that even on a sentencing in such a serious case, this person sat in the box. And if you go to a courthouse in Toronto or any of the outer lying areas, it's not a zoo. Yeah. It's a respectful place where everybody is treated respectfully, which is why it leads me into one other comment. Well, why things can get out of hand. Like, mm -hmm. I remember they interrupted a preliminary hearing once and they brought in a person who is probably mentally ill or whatever. He created a great disturbance. And but that's mental illness. That's yeah. mental yeah. illness. Uh, Ruckuses are part of the course. Was it Justice Mara Green? Yeah, Mara. And she's, she's, she was delightful. She handled it excellent. so well. She kept everything calm. Oh, she's fabulous. Yeah. And so so it doesn't always go so smooth. No, but, but that's that's somebody, sadly, who's suffering from mental illness. Yeah. But, but even in high, like in cases where I've been on serious organized crime cases or, or you know, project cases or murder cases, I mean, everybody generally... There's threats and concerns, but we have a good system. And part of that also is because of our sentencing regime. Our sentencing regime is not insane. Right. We, don't, we don't treat people like animals. We don't, we don't put out 500-year sentences. We don't, we don't litigate these cases in the media. And because of that, we have a much more humane system. And frankly, our society benefits as a result of it. But now I've done my praise for the system. People might go, what the f is that? Is that Joseph? He never praises the system. But anyways... Can a judge ever be not biased? I'm just okay, curious so, about that. So this this came up as a result of reading this case. There is one thing, though, that I, I, I want to say from the, the case we were just looking at. Um, I found the like one of their last paragraphs to be really important. They say, to be blunt, the perception of the public is critical to the efficacy of the justice system. The public, in turn, must have confidence in the court's ability to deal with civil, criminal, and other disputes in a rational, civilized manner. The dignity of such is a system, 
uh, of such a system is undermined at society's peril. In my view, repetition of what occurred in this proceeding would contribute to the erosion of public confidence in this institution. So even though he wasn't overturned, I think that point is really important because um, this this uh, balance between um, having public confidence mm -hmm. and administering justice in a way that the public might not understand is a very difficult balance to achieve. And that leads to what you were just prompting but, me to but, talk but about. But I'm going to say, because I actually started off with that sentence, yeah. but I think what would be important is if the public actually came out to watch trials. I think it would be so wonderful for the public to be more informed what goes on in our courts and then have an actual real view of, um, of how, how trials are, how justice is meted out, what, what goes into a sentencing, what goes into an acquittal, what goes into a conviction. I just wish the public would come out. I had a weird roller coaster. I started out getting interested in law because I, I found the logic behind mm -hmm. law and how if something is true in one place, it'll be true across the board. That logic was so attractive to me that I had like all this faith. And, and we have an amazing system in Canada in terms we of do. comparison to others. But then, but then I then you see injustices, and then you're just like, oh my god, it starts to tank, right? Right. But the longer you spend going to court, the more you understand that. Yeah, there's injustice that happens. It's but, a human system. But our system is, is quite incredible. And, you know, and it, it does follow it's logic. It's hard. We, you know, we go through a lot of difficulties. Yeah. We fight hard in the court. There are sometimes, you know, not always are we with, you know, a judge that we think is the best on a case or, or there are decisions that are made by certain judges that we're very critical of. That said, overall, I've always said this, I don't think anybody truly wants to create a wrongful conviction, but there are misguided things that have happened. And in our past, we've had a lot of atrocities with wrongful convictions. And the one area that we do see where things have been tunneled too far is with sexual assault and domestic cases where we think they are ripe for wrongful conviction. Yeah, it's deemed to be a gender issue. Yes, and, and there's all sorts of you know horrific that goes on with that. So I don't want to lose sight of that. But but can it judge, it's just an interesting question for this discussion on our podcast, truly ever start a trial impartial? Impartial. So as we were looking at this case, it reminded me of, um, and I'd done a video about this, um, we had a Supreme Court Justice, Bertha Wilson, who was, the uh, I think, the first female judge who was appointed. And the very last decision she ever wrote was a case called Lavalie, uh, RV Lavalie, 1990, 1SCR, Eight five two. That's for Max. <laughs> and this is this is a very important case because it's the first case in Canada. Extremely important case to recognize battered woman syndrome as it is not a defense. It's just access to a defense of self defense. There was also a very important case because of that about expert evidence. Yeah, and right before she issued her decision, um, allowing you know Lavely to be acquitted on on this basis, even though. Um, Lovely didn't testify herself. There was a, an expert witness that was the subject of the appeal. Can an expert witness testify about this when the accused isn't subjected to cross-examination on, on the very same issue? Too complicated to get into. But she wrote, uh, she gave a speech called, Will Women Judges Really Make a Difference? And she talks about when she was first appointed and they went, yay, the public, you know, feminists were, were saying, now we've got a female judge. Now things are going to go better for women. And she was like, but my hands were tied because I have to be impartial. Right. <laughs> and so it's a very lengthy. This is, this is actually an extremely important point. 
It is, yeah. And one of the one of the ways I got into looking into what was going on in our legal system and connecting with you was because I was looking at feminist activism that was yeah. going on. And so this is precisely what she's talking about, the expectations on her as a female judge. And it should be female judge. I, it annoys me she said women judges. But no, that's just Whatever, that's the time. It's just grammar. Yeah. <laughs> it's just grammar. Um, so she said, <clears throat> indeed, as a woman judge, anxious to respond to these changes, I wondered to what extent would I be constrained in my attempts to do so by the nature of uh, judicial office itself. And so then, and I have I've talked to people who have a different take on this than I do, but I'll just tell you the highlights for me. She talks about Socrates. Um, he defined the essential qualities of a judge in the following manner. Four things belong to a judge, to hear courteously, which is what we were just talking about, being mm -hmm. courteous, um, to answer wisely, which we hope they can do, to consider soberly. That's difficult Some when you do. work in law. Some do. <laughs> Some not so and much. And to decide impartially. So she summarizes those concepts. Then she starts quoting uh, mostly British um, philosophy and starts talking about, can anybody really be impartial? And so my take on this speech is that um, she says, she quotes all these people saying, nobody can truly be impartial. And then she goes, therefore, it's okay if I'm not. That's my take on it. <laughs> I think I think truly what she was expressing at the end of the day is that everybody comes to a, uh, a case um, with a particular bias. We it, all have baggage. It, it, we all have baggage. Everyone comes. You know, yeah. so you're going to have life experience mm -hmm. and... It, it will frame who you are. Yeah. And, but the power of being impartial, the, the, the overarching principle of that, once you ascend to the bench to be a judge and therefore judge your fellow citizen on serious matters, you then have to try and transcend any of those particular characteristics, much like we tell a jury. Yeah. And you can see you know, the wash that goes over a jury's face when they realize we are judges. And I've always believed that I think, you know, you can try and be as impartial as possible. But, you know, I, I think most of the time they can't, some they can't. But most of the time, the majority of time, you know, you, you can try and do that. And we've seen, we just had a case play out where I did submissions and the judge was talking and say, write to the accused. This is a very difficult case, human trafficking case. I was saying, write to the accused. This doesn't smell good for you. <laughs> that was said right. in front of the jury? No, 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 this, no. this was judge alone. Judge alone. Oh, okay. Not going to name anybody. talking jury. Yeah. One of my <laughs> cases. No names. We're going to have a decision eventually. And... <laughs> Basically, the judge was saying, this doesn't smell good for you. I, I absolutely do not believe you. But. but I have to be impartial. I also have to understand proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And I do. And I also recognize what your lawyer said, me, about all the problems with the Crown's prosecution. It's a lot of self-checks. But I trust the judge implicitly. I know him for a long time and I know no matter what he will arrive at the right decision but you know He's what it's interesting but it's interesting because I believe that 
on balance, I think this client's going to be acquitted, but I think the judge was using it as a teachable moment. Yeah. You know, saying, and said things like, you're a bright person. You're a bright young person who can have a very bright, wonderful future. I don't know what the f you were thinking, but you know, you can totally have a bright future. And basically there is a lecture there, a teachable moment where I think he has, he knows he has no choice but to find the person not guilty. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully, God willing. But, but it was interesting because I don't find that offensive in any way, shape or form. No. There's a very interesting quote that I just want to visit from this. And the entire speech by Bertha Wilson is really interesting. But the, another moment that stood out for me, <coughs> Judge Rosalia Bella, who at the time was chair of the Ontario uh, Law Reform Commission, she says, also doubts that judicial imparti impartiality is a realistic requirement. That's a quote from this speech. And that's kind of interesting. Why? Because Justice... Bella, if she doesn't believe impartiality is a re realistic requirement, she was on our Supreme Court of Canada. She just retired, yeah. Yeah. It, it did a great job. She was on Court of Appeal, did a very good job. Oh, yeah, I mean, she made some, we she, may disagree yeah. with, with some of her decisions, but overall I thought she was a very, very good judge. And, and you know what? Was impartial. I think what they're trying to say is you can never say anybody's 100% impartial. That they... I, think I, I guess it's kind of like saying I never lie. Right. right. It's right. like, you know, you, you come with your baggage, you come with your experiences, but what you will do is push all that aside to make the right decision on the facts the yeah. and apply the law. I think that's where they get with it. Um, but it's extremely important. And when we think about it for this discussion, because it was just very, some of the language used in this trial was very amusing. Right. And we don't get... Laugh out loud. We don't, often, <laughs> we don't often get to read decisions that are like this or, or, or trial decisions. But, you know, it, it brings back something which I think is very important for us to always talk about is, you know, the importance of impartiality in our system. Mm -hmm. And overall, it does a very good job of that, regardless of people's own biases when they're judges. I, I just think it does overall a pretty good job. And I, I think sometimes, you know, you can have a really amazing judge who makes a decision that does have bias because maybe there's something in it that they you know connects with them in a certain way or yeah. whatever and you know that's just human and that's why we have courts of appeals right. we have appellate courts and, and I, I just think where where our concerns rise and we often talk about this a tremendous amount in our, in our podcast is where other things creep in other interest groups and other influences creep in and try and push a certain narrative from a particular interest or point of view that 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 can then cause certain issues and and that's where we have to be really careful in Canada and that's mm -hmm. what I've kind of gotten passionate about too is that there's been almost a request and a demand from our legal system that they become biased in certain ways right and so that's, that's a good way that's, of putting that's it. why it's important to talk about this and also you know through through Lighthouse my nonprofit with people who've been yeah. falsely accused wrongfully convicted um, I, I get a lot of people claiming that there's you know oh the judge was biased and they don't understand um, the legal system well enough and the legal language and the reasoning behind it right and so they assume there's bias and so i think it's an important topic to discuss um you know what is and isn't bias and 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 why there's some deference to judges you know it's not an easy job no it isn't it no. isn't and there's actual bias and there's perceived and there is human, bias but that's right. why we have appellate courts too it is and statements from from this court that talked about you know, that's why I led off with it and you ended it with this. You know, the, the dignity of this system is very much undermined uh, when 
something happens like this but it but but sometimes it does and yeah. you know we can't take everything too seriously until next time yeah i know like subscribe hit notifications leave comments share and wish share. him a happy birthday <laughs> happy birthday me <laughs> all right thank you everybody for watching and viewing